Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am your host, Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. And today we have an episode sponsored by Shell with two great guests here to chat with us about hyper automation. So I would like to welcome Naresh and Amber to the program. Thanks to both of you for joining. And maybe quickly, starting with you, Amber, just let folks know a little bit about sort of like who you are and what your role is day to day. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Hello, everyone. My name is Amber Webb. I'm based in Houston, Texas, and I'm a principal software engineer at Shell in an organization called Agile Hub Americas. I've been with Shell for about three and a half years, and but I've worked as a software developer for 15 years. Before Shell, I worked in many different industries and company sizes, and I even worked in startups. So a part of my everyday role in Shell, uh, I lead the front end and test automation teams in Agile Hub. These teams work across five different uh, business lines. And I also work on enterprise level technical initiatives to help drive innovation in Shell. Very cool. And Naresh, what about yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ben. My name is Naresh Kumar Bulusu. I'm a senior principal software engineer at Shell in an organization called uh, Native Software Engineering. I am based out of Bangalore, India. I have 16 years of experience in the IT industry. I have been with Shell for over 14 years. So most of my career is with Shell. I currently lead uh, a horizontal initiative at Shell called Hyper Automation. I have always been passionate about automation. It has been a key aspect of my career roles uh, since the beginning. Although the set of tools and technologies I use has changed over time, the passion has remained the same. It's been an exciting journey to see how automation has uh, evolved over time and how it continues to impact uh, the way we work. Right. Very cool. So it sounds like both of you have a lot of experience on the engineering side, but now are also working almost at sort of like the platform or the organization level, you know, to help things improve in terms of the processes or the productivity. All developers love automation. We know this, but how would you define hyper automation? And I guess after we define it, we'll talk a little bit about sort of like what it means to bring that to an organization. Yeah, me, I too realized recently that the term hyper-automation is used in the industry for specific use cases such as uh, RPA. But no, you, you know, I think it's a good question uh, to clarify. We did not use the word to align with the industry usage. It is more of an internal naming we have given to the initiative. That said, uh, hyper-automation at Shell is a horizontal initiative aimed at improving uh, developer experience and uh, productivity. The hyper-automation team identifies and uh, removes bottlenecks that slow down product teams through various stages of software development lifecycle for different archetypes or patterns. Engineering teams building software in uh, large organizations like Shell typically see bottlenecks that can be local to the team or global at mm. the organization level. While it is up to the individual teams to resolve local bottlenecks, uh, hyper-automation at Shell mainly focuses on the global problems at the organization level, slowing down teams. Yeah, thanks, Naresh. So I'm someone who works closely with uh, product delivery teams. So every day I see how important it is to deliver quality applications to our stakeholders faster. And what's great about hyper-automation is it removes those hurdles that get in the way of continuous delivery. I like what both of you said. It's really interesting, both defining it, 
in general. And then also it has a specific meaning within your organization, within Shell. So you both talked about speed of delivery. You know, you talked about bottlenecks and how maybe at the local level, you know, a team could try to resolve that. But at a global level, that could be difficult, not knowing all the different interconnections and dependencies. So I guess, tell me a little bit about what things were like before you put hyper automation in place. Maybe that'll give us a sense of what these problems were like. And then we could talk about how you go about implementing, you know, hyper automation to fix them and what the result looks like. First of all, I like what Amber said about being able to deliver quality software faster. Uh, we shouldn't have to compromise on speed for quality. The size of an organization can also have an effect on speed. Uh, mm. This is what we are here to talk about today, how large organizations uh, can move at the speed of startups. I have been working with Shell for over 14 years, and I really admire the scale of Shell IT. It is quite large in many ways, whether we look at the number of applications, teams, or tools and technologies. Even after all these years, the size and scale are uh, so difficult to comprehend, uh, you mm -hmm. know, to be very honest. Probably because of the size, uh, there was a generally accepted sentiment and frustration that we are slow compared to startups. Right. In my experience, this is typical of large organizations. But hyper automation wanted to challenge that very sentiment. Uh, we believed strongly that we don't have to accept that it is okay to be slow uh, just because we are large. But the problem is that most of the feedback was subjective and not something that we could work off, uh, work with off the bat. So we needed to do some research, uh, both internally and externally. Uh, we analyzed the different phases of software development lifecycle and mm, yeah. uh, identified areas where we have bottlenecks and started benchmarking ourselves. To my surprise, there was not much information available publicly in terms of a baseline what does good look like you know for these type of problems so we couldn't even tell how slow or fast we were relative to other organizations so yeah. we had to come up with our own baseline uh, or uh, a target state which is quite ambitious you as you'll see in a bit yeah um, i mean i think that's so interesting you know there are universally accepted benchmarks you know like lighthouse for web performance or you know uh, people understand, you know, nine nines uptime in you know cloud services and delivery. But how do you benchmark against other large organizations when it comes to things like developer productivity? So, what were the three things you looked at? Uh, the three main areas where we found uh, uh, bottlenecks and uh, uh, improvement opportunities are the stage when a team has to acquire uh, the necessary tools and services uh, mm -hmm. to build their product. You know, the stage where teams have to write foundational code before right. implementing business logic. And finally, the stage where teams have to deploy to production repeatedly at a rapid pace. So so those are the three stages. Uh, yeah. A lot of software developers are used to coming into a company and having to set up their development environment for the first time and, you know, understand, you know, what tools and dependencies and documents they're going to need to be working with. So. How do you look at you know, the stage when a team has to provision that set of sort of core IT services? So let's take a look at that stage first, right? So if we take a web app pattern as an example, let's say a team wanted to create a, a simple web app that does a simple task of uh, printing Hello World, but there are some conditions that this team need to meet. 
conditions to meet the enterprise standards such as the app must be protected uh, you know to, to have a single sign on uh, mm. not anybody can log in right. it should have a proper uh, you know dns and tls uh, certificates configured the app should be hosted on an enterprise provided cloud platform you know for hosting mm. for a team to get all these required tools and services uh, build and deploy even such a simple web app that meets the conditions uh, expected right. by enterprise standards we found it was taking at least 30 days before wow. hyper automation yeah i mean what you're saying makes sense you're sort of saying even for something that's simple internal and mvp they were kind of applying the same standards as you might for an external facing you know customer app that's going to be running at an enterprise level and so i can see how that would create you know a lot of friction when you looked into it were there some items that you could identify where you said, okay, this is a place where we can make a change and make a fix? So when we investigated why it was taking so much time to build even such a simple web app, mm -hmm. uh, we discovered a few key reasons. Um, one is there was no one-stop shop where teams could get all the required tools and services they needed. Mm. Most of the tools and services are issued by various central teams that belong to different portfolios. There is also, of course, a ticketing process set up by each team and uh, each request took several days uh, given each team's uh, respective SLAs. I see what you're saying. So first, right, they've got to talk to the team working on the uh, single sign-on. Then they've got to talk to the team working on DNS. Then they've got to talk to the team doing the cloud platform hosting. And each of those could be a different team in a different part of the world. Exactly, right? Like, And th th that is another major factor, actually. I, I think, uh, you know, you you're kind of hinting into like another major problem uh, mm -hmm. that, we are, that we have discovered. So that is the sequential order or chaining of mm -hmm. requests. Right. So teams needed, teams couldn't submit all the requests uh, in one shot as a bundle. Uh, so there was some sort of a sequential order that teams had to, you know, go through. And, and uh, you know, the reasons are like more, mostly technical. For example, Teams needed a cloud subscription to be, uh, you know, in place first before being able to deploy an application, you know, and then configure DNS and TLS certificates. Right. Teams needed uh, proper DNS uh, to be set up before uh, configuring OAuth to OIDC uh, for single <laughs> sign-on and so right. on. So you can see the chaining problem. Yeah, each individual requirement makes sense. But of course, when you all up and make them all dependent on one another, that's where you get, you know, a 30-day wait time. So let's talk about part two, writing the foundational code before you can write the business logic. That means sort of every time you set out to solve a problem, you had to redo uh, you know, the basics that would get an app up and running before you could you know, kind of think seriously about what problem it's solving. Taking the web app pattern as an example, tell me what you saw here. So Again, teams needed to write foundational code uh, or boilerplate code for cross-cutting concerns pretty much from scratch. It used to take multiple sprints to Yikes. write all the boilerplate code before being right. able to focus on uh, you know, what actually matters, the business requirements. Yeah, This didn't make any sense because for known patterns or archetypes such as uh, you know, web app, what we're talking about here, Work during initial stages is highly predictable, uh, especially in an enterprise context. We are talking about cross-cutting concerns such as infrastructure as code, CI/CD pipelines, totally. and so on. All right, let's take a look at the last stage. So you have put out the requests and gotten the tooling. You've written the basic business logic. Now you actually want to deploy you know, this product. What were some of the issues you found there? 
like many enterprises, uh, we follow uh, the ITIL uh, change management process and use mm-hmm. uh, ServiceNow as the tool for recording change tickets. The manual process of registering change tickets, uploading evidence, artifacts, getting approvals meant teams needed to wait uh, several days, uh, you know, for all the paperwork and, uh, you know, approvals to happen. Mm-hmm. And all of this uh, took more than a week sometimes, uh, you know, before teams could release their changes to production for non-emergency situations. Of course, right. there is a emergency change process if there was some, you know, emergency, but uh, for right. the regular changes, uh, you know, it took days or more than weeks sometimes. Right. So, yeah, I mean, these are three kind of key areas where you've identified bottlenecks that were slowing down your teams. Amber, you lead some of these teams. So what were your what was sort of your view on where things were? Yeah, before hyper automation, things were slow and at (laughs) times they could be really frustrating. Uh, You know, my teams had to wait on outside teams timelines, you know, to, to be able to deliver products. That's that's extremely frustrating. So for instance, if we needed approval to push something to production or we needed additional testing done, we would have to wait, get feedback, iterate, and then wait again. So now with hyper automation, everything is self-serviced and we can provide the evidence we need to get features in production in a matter of minutes versus the weeks that it would take before. Okay. So We've figured out, you know, sort of where the bottlenecks are. How did you go about actually implementing hyper-automation? So as this uh, saying goes, a problem well-defined is a problem Mm -hmm. half-solved. In that sense, you know, I think we did a pretty good job of translating highly subjective feedback, something like we are slow, into Mm -hmm. a set of problems that can be approached objectively. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we had a good idea from the beginning about what needed to be done uh, to address each of the identified, uh, you know, bottlenecks. However, it became very clear very early that if we were going to be successful in solving these uh, identified problems, it meant uh, several precursors needed to be in order first. Uh, we needed strong partnerships internally, uh, especially with the, our central teams to break certain boundaries uh, and also externally, you know, with our suppliers to enhance their products and services to enable us in achieving our goals. Uh, this is where, uh, you know, the level of continuous support we received uh, from Shell leadership right from the beginning played a key role. So with everything we needed in place, we were all set. As I said before, we have identified three problem areas where we needed to improve. So as you might guess, we have organized hyper-automation to align with these three areas and made hyper-automation into three parts. So we refer to the first part as become productive. It Mm. is about how fast engineering teams at Shell can get the tools and services they need to build software products. As a part of MVP scope last year, uh, we prioritized uh, the tools and services relevant for the web app pattern because it's right. mostly mo- widely used pattern mm-hmm. uh, and automated all of these requests. These are, again, requests, uh, you know, we talked as an example, like cloud subscriptions, DNS, all of those uh, included, uh, you know, required for a web app pattern and more. Right. Right. I talked earlier about how it used to take 30 days. And we set ourselves an ambition that we needed to bring that down to one hour. That was quite ambitious. And, uh, you know, we are very proud to uh, announce we have achieved that goal, actually. So quite happy about that. Also, as a byproduct, these automated services not only help just the web app pattern, but many other patterns. Because, for example, 
Cloud subscriptions nowadays are fundamental need for most types of software applications. So it won't be such a big effort to unlock additional patterns, more like building on top of what we have already done. Right. Yeah, that's reusable. You know, you have now this single request that gets sent out. I'm going to be building a web app. I'm going to need cloud subscription provision, automated DNS and TLS, OAuth. And they can just say, okay, we know what this is. We can press, you know, a single button and it's going to run you through the bundle. How, how did you work from there on the business logic and sort of the, you know, as you said, fundamental sort of code problem? Yeah, that's the next step for the teams, isn't it? Like, so the teams have got all the tools and services. Now, you know, they have to start writing, uh, you know, code. That's where uh, the second part of hyper automation comes into play. We refer to that as codified uh, templates. Mm. It is about how fast can engineering teams begin to work on business requirements rather than uh, spending time in writing boilerplate code for cross-cutting concerns, which are predictable. Things like infrastructure as code, CICD pipelines, and so on. And we offer these templates as a part of hyper automation to give best practice starting points in the enterprise built by principal engineers like Amber uh, and uh, save several sprints worth of time and uh, effort for the teams. This allows teams uh, to focus on business requirements instead of boilerplate code. You might be wondering by now, templates are not automation per se. So why is this uh, a part of hyper automation? The main reason is in hyper automation, uh, we look at uh, enabling patterns. Uh, I mentioned patterns multiple times already. Instead of standalone automations, uh, you know, we look at patterns. Although we do have some standalone automations, uh, but the main strategy has always been to enable patterns and see uh, what building blocks are required uh, to enable a given pattern. In that sense, these codified templates uh, we are building today uh, will be building blocks for our ultimate long-term vision. Uh, That is, how can we enable teams uh, such that with one request, uh, you know, they can automatically provision entire environments for a given pattern end-to-end, you know, to a point where teams just select a pattern uh, and Mm -hmm. jump right into, you know, implementing business logic. This uh, is quite an ambitious goal, but we keep pushing towards it. I love that idea. So now teams can easily go in, select a bundle and get, you know, the tools that they need approved and then forget the boilerplate code. You know, they have a set of patterns, you know, that they can use that are already laid out for them and already approved, you know, by the company. They have passed whatever, you know, the technical and security and legal requirements that they need. um, And they can jump right into thinking about how to solve, you know, sort of the problem that's right in front of them. How, How recent is this? I mean, we're talking about something that you did a while back or is this a recent change? Uh, we released uh, these uh, templates, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, oh, cool. You know, so it's a, it's a like a relatively new uh, implementation. So so we expect, uh, you know, that with these templates, teams save several uh, sprints worth of time and effort. But not only yeah. that, again, like you mentioned, with these templates, uh, there will be more consistency and stand, you know, in terms of standards and best practices applied by you know teams so we also yeah. you know benefit on that angle this is just the beginning as this work will expand uh, and as we explore new patterns with the help of various disciplines in the organization for example i know web app uh, pattern very well but uh, there are like some areas uh, you know i have like no knowledge at all like data science for example right so we right. are also partnering with other uh, disciplines in the organization And our ambition is to create an internal marketplace for these templates built uh, for Shell and maintain them as inner source uh, assets. 
Yeah, that's a really cool idea. We've talked with a bunch of other companies uh, that build something similar, refer to it kind of like a developer portal, which is where you go internally to find out what's been done. You know, if you want to work on something, what the best way to do it is. And then, yeah, almost create, you know, uh, a little bit of an app store. And I think a lot of developers find that inspiring because they want to build a tool that a lot of, you know, colleagues are going to pick up or maybe have suggestions for how to improve. All right. So we've gotten through steps one and two. What is the third and final part of your sort of implementation of hyper automation? Yes. So the final part of hyper automation is uh, what we call remain productive, uh, but it also has got a you know alternative name. We refer to that as uh, touchless change management. Mm-hmm. It is about how fast teams can deploy the changes to production without compromising on the required security, compliance, and regulatory requirements. What we have done is... Uh, we have automated the uh, ServiceNow uh, change ticket process with the help of necessary integrations between our CI/CD tool, GitHub Actions, and ServiceNow. Uh, we worked uh, very closely with the team at Shell that owns the change management process to ensure the controls uh, are still met while we introduce the improvements. With internal partnerships like this, uh, we were able to come up with uh, you know a set of reusable quality gates that ensure the required controls are met before teams deploy changes to production and uh, register their changes in ServiceNow automatically. So touchless change management, uh, MVP, went live a few months ago, and uh, teams are starting to adopt this capability uh, and achieve not only faster release cycles, but uh, higher quality and consistency in the way they release uh, to production. That's very cool because in this part, this last part, you know, it's not uh, as the first two were just thinking necessarily internally, but also figuring out the integrations with, you know, external partners like GitHub and ServiceNow. So I guess you said you, you know, put out the MVP, you have sort of now like a fully functional product team and roadmap for hyper automation. Is that the end of the line or, you know, is this something that you're going to continue to work on? Absolutely not, right? Like, so what we didn't, what, what we don't want uh, is to treat improvements like this as one-off activities. Mm. Uh, you know, so this uh, is just a beginning, and uh, the, the hyper automation team will always be on the lookout uh, for continuous improvement opportunities. Uh, you know, wherever we can enhance developer experience and productivity. We started with a very small backlog, and now we have more than hundred, uh, you know, items in our backlog. Developers mm. are uh, <laughs> uh, now able to uh, submit their uh, you know, asks uh, in one right. place, uh, which didn't exist uh, before. So we are also right. acting as that funnel for developer needs. Got to be careful. Now they know that you can fix problems. You're going to start stacking up those requests. <laughs> yeah, we need to manage the expectations. Uh, so, yeah. Right. So Amber, I know you're heavily involved in building the templates. Tell us a little bit about that, you know, how it worked and, and sort of what your philosophy towards that was. Yeah, so I was not a part of the original hyper automation team. So I entered the picture later when it was time to develop the codified templates. And my years of experience as a senior front-end engineer and my experience in startups has been really beneficial in developing the templates. I believe strongly in standards, very strongly. But I also believe that developers have room to make their own choices and opinions a reality when they write code. So the aim of these templates was to provide a starting point for less experienced developers with pre-baked standards in shell libraries, but also give flexibility within the framework. So I, I know the pain points of development. The templates aim to alleviate those pain points while staying unopinionated. So I personally don't care if you use semicolons or not, and honestly, <laughs> you know, neither should you, right? But I do care that your code is linted, formatted, tested, and uses shell libraries. 
So I guess, you know, last question, what would you say has been the impact on, you know, sort of developer experience? And again, you know, is there a way to quantify that? Uh, of course, we track insights uh, internally to assess the adoption rate of hyper automation improvements, right? Like for each improvement we have made, uh, how is the adoption? And we saw, you know, according to those uh, statistics, we it, it was instant success. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, as soon as we went live, basically j- developers and like teams uh, pretty much jumped on it and, uh, you know, started leveraging improvements. Uh, this is with the uh, become productive epic mainly you mm-hmm. know and uh, we expect uh, the adoption will uh, you know pick up for the new improvements in terms of uh, the touchless change management of the templates right. um, however there is a tremendous improvement in terms of uh, developer experience and productivity already with what, you know what hyper automation was able to achieve you know you you asked about like how do we quantify of course there is a quantitative feedback in terms of numbers but but we also care heavily you know for the qualitative feedback right like w- what do teams uh, you know think of uh, working at shell as software engineers uh, right. you know now and we receive constant positive feedback and heartening messages from engineering teams uh, across mm. shell for what yeah. hyper automation has already achieved uh, this initiative has made so many developers' time at Shell more enjoyable, including mine. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, building morale, that's good. Boosting morale. Yeah. There are other angles to this too, you know, mainly as reduced time to value for business. Uh, and we are uh, witnessing uh, some cultural changes. Like I said, developers now feel more comfortable asking, uh, you know, for improvements. They didn't know where to go to before, you know, and now they mm-hmm. know uh, they can reach out to hyper automation. And also, not, not only that, like the central teams are also becoming more and more developer-centric uh, and developer-friendly, mm-hmm. striving right. for maximum developer autonomy. Overall, there is more importance uh, given to the developer persona, I have to say. So we have achieved all of this, uh, you know, thanks to the constructive feedback from the developer community at Shell. I think with technologies like cloud, uh, the expectations from developers on an organization have also changed a lot in the recent years. A decade ago, uh, if a team needed a server, uh, it was acceptable to wait for weeks. Uh, I have been in that uh, place. <laughs> right. Uh, but cloud-based technologies, uh, you know, completely changed everyone's expectations. Developers, uh, you know, today expect pretty much uh, everything to be in place instantaneously right. uh, to be to be able to meet business demand of, uh, say, faster time to value. You know, but there are other nuances uh, to this topic than plain and simple time and money, right? For mm-hmm. example, developers like to stay in a state of creative flow, and uh, sure. manual processes completely break that flow. Organizations need to create environments where this is, uh, you know, kept to a minimum. I strongly believe uh, that for a software organization to be successful, uh, engineering teams need to be autonomous or independent of external dependencies uh, as much as possible. And hyper automation is a key enabler for such autonomous teams uh, at Shell. I said it before, but both mentioning again, uh, for an initiative like hyper automation to be successful in a large organization like Shell, sponsorship from senior leadership and uh, strong partnerships internally with our central teams as well as externally with our suppliers like GitHub, ServiceNow, and strong technical leadership uh, with clear vision are quintessential. Uh, right. We are thankful to have all of that. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of the developer surveys we've done and the feedback we get from developers who are doing uh, pulse surveys or leaving comments on Stack Overflow on our blog have been about creating an environment, like you said, where they can stay in the flow state, You know, where they're minimizing the interruptions that are taking them away from that deep focus work, which is when they get the most important stuff done. So Amber, is there anything you'd like to share for folks interested in what life is like um, as a software developer at your organization? And then maybe Naresh will hear from you after. Yeah. So developer experience with the templates has been phenomenal. So, you know, instead of developers taking one to two sprints to set up front end and infrastructure, one developer can do all of this in half a sprint or less. So that the time savings there are just remarkable. So developers can focus less on setup and more on quality feature delivery. And in my opinion, the best compliment we have received from a template user is that the templates have everything needed without being opinionated. And that was the goal, of course, like I mentioned before. But, you know, it's a win that developers see that. We give them setup and guidelines while also giving them room to innovate. Um, But something else I want to point out is that hyper automation has changed our ways of working and how we think about features in development teams. So we must have proof that our code is secure and it's tested and to get these time savings, and we get these time savings and value adds through hyperautomation. We care more about these things than before, ensure that we are baking testing and security into our development from the start. Mm-hmm. So hyperautomation has given teams the power to shift left. I didn't realize how sort of recent all this was. It's interesting that we're discussing it. You said, you know, it was implemented a year ago, but some of it, you know, has just come online within the last few weeks. And people are still surprised when they hear about some of the changes. So it's interesting to talk about something within a big organization that's still so fresh. So I guess, you know, we're kind of getting to the end here of going through what it was like for hyperautomation. Naresh, you've had 14 years at Shell and Amber, you've had three, but clearly a big impact in, you know, not only your own work, but, you know, being able to write stuff that helps other developers build. For folks interested, like, what is life like as a software developer at Shell? I mean, what, what would you like to share? Yeah, Ben. So as I've mentioned before, I have worked as a software engineer in organizations of all sizes, and I've experienced different levels of technical expertise and innovation. Mm -hmm. So this is across 15 years of experience. But I continue to be amazed at how much Shell cares about solving the hardest technical problems in innovative ways. So the principles of hyperautomation might sound familiar to those in much smaller organizations, but in an organization this size, it's very uncommon. So in Shell, what makes it an especially challenging and rewarding environment for software engineers is that developers and technical leaders continually work together to innovate. Couldn't agree more uh, with Amber there. Uh, I have been with Shell for over 14 years and my career here has always been challenging and rewarding. And now with hyper automation, it's more exciting. Uh, I have yeah. witnessed uh, a cultural shift in that time that made the organization more developer friendly. Uh, developers are no, now more empowered and supported than ever before. Uh, we have access to a variety of tools and technologies to tackle any challenge. Uh, we have initiatives uh, like hyper automation and uh, inner source uh, that en- enhance developer experience modernize the way teams work and improve productivity you know but what i treasure the most is shell's culture uh, that allows these initiatives uh, you know to thrive there is still a lot more to come so exciting times ahead if you want to be a software engineer at shell 
All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. We want to shout out someone who came on Stack Overflow and shared a little knowledge, helped to save a question from the dustbin of history and won themselves a lifeboat badge. Congrats to Tomas Kula. How do I get multiple components to bind with the same reactive form doing a control update? Tomas, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your answer. You've helped over 20,000 people with that little bit of knowledge. As always, I am Ben Popper. I'm the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions. Podcast is Stack Overflow. And if you like what you hear, why don't you leave me a rating and a review? It really helps. Naresh, Amber, tell folks who you are. If you want to be found on the internet, give them a shout out or otherwise maybe a link where they can learn more about what you do and about Shell. Thank you, Ben and team uh, for having us here. I really enjoyed the conversation. To the audience listening again, my name is Naresh Kumar Bulusum. I am available on LinkedIn if uh, anyone wants to reach out. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, my name is Amber Webb. I'm a principal software engineer at Shell. And if you would like to connect, talk about development, you can find me on LinkedIn. All right, we'll be sure to share those links in the show notes so folks can check you out and reach out if they're interested. And thanks again for coming on. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.